Hey, Church Home, happy Wednesday. Here we are, our midweek gathering. If you're with us on Sunday, welcome back. Um, if you this is your first time joining with us and worshiping with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. It means the world to us. We're going to jump right in. My name's Judah. I am the lead pastor and the primary communicator and teacher here at Church Home. We are a global mobile church, and we believe that church can be in your home. Church functions like a home. We are Church Home. Welcome. Um, it is a really big deal that you would share your headspace. Uh, your brain, your emotions, your soul, and open up to what we are teaching in the story of Jesus. Again, it is not a light or a little thing. We love you. Thank you for being here. If you're new to a space like this, new to the teachings of scripture and the ways of Jesus, um, you're, you're going to find out real quick. I believe he is the ultimate superhero. I believe that he, in fact, except that he's not fiction, that he is real, that he actually predicted his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and in fact, pulled it off. That he lived a sinless life for more than 33 years to reveal and declare that he is God, the God-man, yet he was tempted in every way we are tempted, but without sin. And because of that, he can become our sin and be the once and for all sacrifice um, that God might be just and holy. And by pouring out all the wrath and all the judgment on Jesus, all that is left for you and for me is to simply believe and receive the forgiveness and love of Jesus. And so our true full life begins on this planet and into eternity. Hey, that's what we're about. Pretty simple, pretty clear, hopefully, yes, complex and powerful, but it is that. That is our belief. That is our passion. Wherever you are in the world, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, we are thinking about you. We are praying for you and we love you. We're in a collection of talks called Jesus on dot, dot, dot. And I want to be very specific here on this Wednesday. And this might be unusual. I'm actually going to take this Wednesday to talk to preachers. Now that might be odd because we have a handful of preachers here in our church and it could sound like I'm just talking to preachers everywhere in the world and I certainly uh, welcome any preacher who would like to listen. But I think as I address preachers, the storytellers of scripture, I actually believe that it will relate to you in a very profound way. And I think open up your perspective to the magnitude of God's magnificent love, which is so extensive and so far reaching and so extraordinary and is exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or even imagine. I'm going to jump right back into John chapter eight, uh, which is uh, where I was last time I shared with our community. It is here that uh, Jesus is confronted in the middle of a sermon, in the middle of a message, not too dissimilar to this. Jesus is interrupted with a group of religious leaders. In fact, some of them are preachers. They are teachers of the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. These are Jewish preachers, Jewish leaders who lead in the synagogue and in the temple. And they have brought a woman, probably barely covering her naked body in a sheet. They have found her in the very act of adultery. And they have brought her now in front of the crowd that Jesus is preaching to. And it says, it says in verse four, then they said to Jesus, teacher, we, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Now tell us what you say. 
They were only testing Jesus because, of course, they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the Torah or the laws of Moses, the first five books of what we now call the Old Testament. Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down, wrote in the dust with his finger. Side note, how many know there is a time and place not to answer and not to reply, but to keep your stillness and keep um, your peace. Instead, he bent down, wrote in the dust with his finger, angry. The preachers, the religious leaders, they, they kept insisting that Jesus answer their questions. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's do this. Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Now, here's what I want us to look at just for the next few moments, not long on this uh, Wednesday evening. Upon hearing that, her accuser slowly left the crowd one at a time. For whatever reason, John wants us to know the order in which they left. It says, beginning with the oldest to the youngest with a convicted conscience until finally Jesus was standing alone with the woman, standing alone with the woman. Now, of course, one of the things I like to say is this is how Jesus forgives our sin. From the oldest sin we can remember committing to the newest error, wrong, selfish act or sin we commit, Jesus completely forgives and into our future. It is amazing. Now, one thing we learn upon investigating, and this is one of the first approaches you do when studying the Bible and trying to understand a particular portion of Scripture, you actually first go, first go to the original language, the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic, these three different languages we find the original text written in, and you do your best to study. You can go to Strong's Concordance, but quite frankly, these days, you can simply go to the Bible app or you can download the Strong's Concordance app, and you can look at the original meaning, which, of course, the translators do their best to be most accurate. Now, the Aramaic tells us that this actual phrase, sentence, verse that says beginning with the oldest and the youngest could, could be very well translated starting with the preachers or starting with the priests. And that is, in fact, what I want to share on tonight. I, I believe that this approach to love, care, empathy, and concern for human beings like you and me, each and every one of us that are broken and on a journey this kind of approach that Jesus demonstrates so profoundly and overtly for us in John chapter 8, I believe, is to start with preachers. Preachers are to be examples and leaders in this kind of approach to life. Will you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your love Oh, God, how we need you right now. For those of us in the United States of America, have mercy. For those of us around the world, have mercy. God, we thank you that you are building this community and nothing will stop your plan and your purpose. This we ask and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, for those that don't know, I am a seventh generation preacher. 
Um, that is a lot. Now, a lot of people are like, wow, what a heritage. And it is. And I'm very grateful. But I often say tongue in cheek a little bit that I am a seventh generation preacher, which proves that my family is more dysfunctional than your family. Uh, there is a lot of beauty in my heritage and history. And there is a lot of things I am not proud of. Uh, some of the acts and thoughts and approaches of some of the preachers that I've done my best to understand in which I have arrived on this planet seven generations later from a New Mexico circuit riding woman preacher who carried a Bible and a gun and rode a horse and told anyone who would listen about Jesus. Um, I don't have a gun and I don't like to ride horses, but I do have a Bible, and uh, I am honored and privileged and proud to be a part of a long lineage of women preachers. Thank God for women preachers. Um, thank God for the faith, the resilience, the determination, intentionality of women who follow Jesus all over the world. Preaching is an interesting art, isn't it? Because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that the preacher is to dedicate herself or himself to the gospel, or simply put, the good news. So in short, and I don't mean to insult anyone's intelligence, it is my job here at Church Home to repeatedly share with you news that is Good. Now, that is absolutely categorically my priority. Now, there are times where we do housekeeping, if you will. We've got community dynamics and we've got uh, personal daily habits. We have disciplines. We have logistical approaches to life, such as finance and relationship and jobs and diligence and all these different things. But but let me be clear, my, my role, my job is not actually to be your success coach. It's not actually to make sure that you do good investments and sound investments and your savings and your checkings and your retirement is all in order. I could recommend many more brilliant men and women who could help you with that. That is, in fact, not my role. My role as the preacher for church home is to tell the good news and then when I'm done with that, to tell it again. And then when I'm done with that, to tell it again. And, and the news is good. Well, what is this news? What is this news that has such goodness? What is this news that is so uplifting? What is this news that is so hopeful? Well, it is that God works with broken goods. God works with damaged goods like you and me and that he became sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, so that you and I could become right in our relationship with God, that we could level up with God and have a real, authentic, genuine friendship and relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, which is ultimately the plan and purpose of of man and human beings on the planet to be with God, to relate with God, to walk with God, to talk with God, to listen with God, to enjoy God, and, and, and conversely, God enjoy us. This is the essence and ultimate plan and purpose of man. The news is so good. The Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who have received the free gift 
of Jesus. So by receiving the free gift of Jesus, which of course is forgiveness, his forgiveness purchased by his sacrifice on the cross, you are in fact completely forgiven, past, present, and future. Nothing you can do can separate you from the love of God and you are his forever so that no matter what happens in your life, you always have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You always have King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator of heaven and earth, the ultimate artist of the ages is completely obsessed with you. His thoughts towards you, the Bible says, are more numerous than the sand on the seashore. My job is to remind you that God has separated you from your sins as far as the east is from the west. My job is to tell you news that is so good that sin is no longer the dominant aspect of your relationship with God. In fact, it has been removed. Sin no longer plays a part in your relationship with God. It is now righteousness and acceptance and love and goodness. And it is this news that is so good that leads us to live selfless lives and lives not only thinking about ourselves, but thinking about him and thinking about others and beginning to value and prioritize what our savior values and prioritizes. Now, as I have said those opening statements, you might find that somewhat surprising. And one of the reasons you might find that somewhat surprising is that is not always the reputation of storytellers of scripture or i.e. preachers. In fact, oftentimes preachers are denoted or, or, or related to or the connotation with a preacher is a tone of somewhat judgmental negativity, uh, a little angsty. And so there is this, even the tone reflects news that is conflicting, news that is at best average. And sometimes, frankly, it just sounds like bad news. I, I said this a couple of weeks ago or the last time I preached, I said I drove under overhangs on the freeway and two different times in, I think it was over a course of two days, it might've been the same day, there was this big banner that someone had put over the overhang of the of the uh, of the freeway and and it said Jesus or hell Jesus or hell of course I heard it like Jesus or hell you know like uh, and that seems to reflect a lot of the tone and approach of most preachers I think we have a story on our hand on this Wednesday that will shed further light on the approach that God has asked for preachers to take. Now, before we go any further, let me establish one more thing. And that is, you might be thinking to yourself, this Wednesday sermon is not for us. We're not preachers. We don't like preachers. We're not into preaching. I never want to preach. I don't even want to have people into my home and tell them. So, you know, like I, I, I do not enjoy preaching. Well, then let me appeal to you briefly. For those who follow Jesus, for those who have received the free gift of Jesus and his forgiveness, you are, in fact, a relayer, a reteller of the story of Jesus. Simply put, by definition, you actually are a preacher. You actually do tell his story and you do share the steps that he took and the life that he lived and how he resurrected from the grave. So in, 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 in short, we are all preachers, aren't we? So this sermon truly, though I am honing in on my own kind, though I am speaking to preachers everywhere, I'm also speaking to Jesus followers 
everywhere. Now, if you're like, Judah, I'm not even a Jesus follower. This is so fantastic because you have an opportunity to, to peer in for the next 10 minutes or so and listen to a preacher appeal to any preacher and all preachers to tell news that is good, not news that is bad. And that, quite frankly, for any person curious or interested in the Christian life and the Jesus way of living, it might frankly just be refreshing and invigorating. At this community, in this church, we are committed to good news. And that news is always good. In fact, when things are bleak and things are difficult and things are dark on this little blue and green planet called Earth, my son used to call it Oof. Oof, planet off. Okay, so here on planet off, right, there is pain and problems. So, how much more? How much more do we need the good news? The Bible says Jesus is preaching. We have a passage on our hands that actually has a lot to do with preaching, and his preaching is interrupted. And he's interrupted by, well, some fellow preachers. That's ironic. He's got preachers. We got a preacher, preachers interrupting a preacher, the ultimate preacher, the consummate preacher, the man who does not preach about a person or preach about concepts or principles. He is literally preaching himself. He is the personification of the sermon. He is the creator of heaven and earth, fully God, fully man. You can imagine what his preaching tone facial expression, demeanor must have been like, but he is interrupted by preachers who have found a woman who is sinning. We talked about this. Their focus is sin. Jesus' focus is who has no sin. Of course, pointing the whole passage to himself as the antidote and the answer and the hope. But notice what the original language tells us. The Aramaic seems to strongly suggest here in the original language that, in fact, the preachers, the priests, the teachers who were holding rocks, they were the first to drop their rocks and walk away. This is not a complicated sermon here on this Wednesday, here in this midweek gathering of church home. I would like to give you my thesis. I would like to give you my focus. I would like to share with you my one point in this sermon. And that is, it is high time for preachers of all kinds, preachers in all places and spaces, using multiple different languages all over the continents and countries that make up this beautiful earth. I am appealing to you, yes, you, to drop your rocks, to let go of the judgmental, condemning, hurtful, painful, negative, angsty approach to telling the story of Jesus. In truth, much of our world right now seems to be a lot like this woman, caught. Cancel culture is out to catch us all. Cancel culture is now teaching us that we've got to find how we can catch 
people. I said it before, but it was alarming to discover that there are literally news outlets, media outlets, and I'm not mad at them. It's just the reality of the economy and how to stay afloat and how to make money and sell headlines and get clickbait and all those things. But there are literally media outlets, this is factual, who are paying people to go back in time to go back to people's history on social media to see if they can find anything that would allow people to cancel these individuals, to find posts or statements or videos or comments that they have made that might lead us to believe they are hateful or they are bad or they are evil. And that is right now the state of our culture. Now, we can run from culture. We can oppose culture. We can say how bad culture is for those of us who follow Jesus or like Jesus. We can work with him in the redeeming of culture. Now, is all culture redeemable? I'll leave that to be discussed by people far more brilliant than me. But this we know we are in the work of redemption, not elimination. That is not our work. Our work is to not cancel people or eliminate people. Our work is to tell the news that is so good that leads everyone to understand and to know factually, absolutely categorically, their life, their brain, their worldview, their passions, their desires, their impulses can be redeemed, can be reshaped, reformed by the lifestyle of Jesus the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. He is the man who, like I said a moment ago, predicted his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and completely and totally pulled it off, just like he said, and fulfilled thousands of prophecies that were given thousands of years before he was even born in Bethlehem. This is Jesus. And the Bible says, starting with the priests, starting with the preachers, they dropped their rocks. Now, the rocks obviously were going to be used to pulverize the skull of this woman until her brain swole to the point of death. They had every intention of hurting this woman, and they felt justified. Here comes Jesus, calculated, careful, compassionate, kind, measured. By no means do we see any amount of insecurity. He is not rushed by anyone. He is not moved by the urgency and the tyranny of these judgmental preachers. He is still. He is quiet. And he chooses his words carefully. Oh, preachers, may we carry the same demeanor. May we carry the same care and approach in this life. Well, Judah, I'm not a preacher. Well, if you've ever told anybody about Jesus, to be honest, I'm pretty sure we could slip you in that category called preacher. Let's start with the preachers. Growing up, I've heard more sermons than you can imagine, but sometimes it was ironic. I don't know if you ever heard of an ironic sermon, but an ironic sermon could be one of those sermons where they're telling about how Jesus forgives and sets free, and yet they're doing it with a tone that sounds just 
the opposite things like only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus can set you free. And you're like, are you mad at me? If I did, is he happy, mad, glad, sad, bad? Like what, what is going on? Let's start with the preachers. Now something very interesting happens as Jesus clears the room. As he clears the room with truth. As he is not only setting the woman free, but he's potentially teaching the preachers how they too can be free. The Bible says they drop their rocks. I, I would like to say there's a number of things that I think these rocks in the hands of these preachers represent. Certainly it represents projection. As preachers, we have our own problems and shortcomings and weaknesses. And sometimes we go into the pulpit with projection. And because we feel insufficient within ourselves and our own shortcomings, we project upon listening, willing people our own problems. One of the dead giveaways of a preacher is when a preacher is harping on a particular sin incessantly and repeatedly. Oftentimes it can be, not always, of course, projection. And we do this. Not only projection, we, we insert opinion with an inability to share with the people listening that that, in fact, was our opinion, not Scripture. It's very easy for us to do that. It's very easy for us as preachers to categorize certain sins as worse than others, which, in fact, is what these rock-carrying preachers are doing. They have decided that this woman should be exposed and humiliated and should be destroyed with rocks. And yet we know these men too have sin. Jesus on preachers. Let us drop our rocks. Let us let go of projection, opinions, ranking sins, these practices that keep people from truly experiencing the freedom of Jesus and truly experiencing Jesus and seeing him for who he really is. Now, that's the part of the story I want to end with. It says this. He says, dear woman, Jesus now. Or I'll just begin at the verse at the beginning of the verse, verse 10, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman. One of my favorite parts of this passage, because I believe the goal of every preacher should be to get people alone with Jesus. That's where it all begins. That's where the life begins. That's where hope begins. And sometimes us preachers, we get in the way, don't we? But the goal of the preacher, John the Baptist, said, I must decrease and he must increase. As I preach, there must be an increase of the person of Jesus. And the goal even of this sermon right now is that, that, that at, any, at any moment, at any moment, the goal isn't that you hear every word I say. The goal is that one of these moments expounding on his story and his scripture and his ways and his love and his mercy, that you would be captured in your thoughts. It could be a phrase. It could be an analogy. It could be a statement. And all of a sudden you sense the nearness and person of Jesus right where you are. That <clears throat> is one of the primary goals 
of preaching. That right there. And so now she's alone with Jesus and still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up. Jesus now standing alone with the woman. Dear woman, where are your accusers? He says, is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, evidently maybe she had not looked around, probably most likely her head was down in total shame. Oh, these preachers were not wrong. They might've been right, but they had the wrong spirit. They wanted to destroy life rather than save life. Ah, uh, the goal of preaching is not to ostracize and eliminate and communicate elitism. The goal of preaching is to throw open the doors of the church so wide that anyone can walk in and find hope and forgiveness. Looking around, the Bible says, and what is verse 13, excuse me, verse 11, she says, I see no one, Lord. Did you hear her? I see no one, Lord. No one's here, Lord. But listen to what the word Lord there, literally, in the, once again, the Aramaic, the word Lord there is this word Yahweh. Yahweh. Do you know what's happened in a matter of just a few verses? This woman has gone from believing at any moment her execution will begin. This woman has literally, can you imagine the range of emotion she felt at church? The range of emotion she experienced in church. Her, 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 her visit to church was exposing and humiliating and she was put right in the middle and all of the preachers picked up rocks to end her life. I wonder sometimes if this is how people feel in church. Oh, Judah, that's too dramatic, is it? Or has there been spaces and places in church where we have exposed, humiliated, focused on, and, well, without knowing that we've brought more death than life? But notice what the woman says after Jesus clears the church or clears the space or clears the room, he says, where is your accuser? She says, there's no one, Yahweh. This woman goes from a sex act, rushed to church, humiliated, devastated, absolutely believes at any moment her execution could begin, which would start with rocks hitting her body and hitting her head and taking her life. She has already probably accepted, this is my end. This is my last day. And what she doesn't know is this is the beginning of a new day because of Jesus. Oh, that preachers would preach Sermons that would give people who thought it was their last day a new day. People who thought it was their end only to discover through the preaching of the good news, it's a new beginning. This is the message of Jesus. This woman evidently in a matter of few moments has had a revelation. 
Her eyes had been opened to see that the man who has cleared the room, the man who mysteriously writes in the dirt and chooses every word so carefully and quite frankly is mostly quiet. She now realizes he is Yahweh. He is the promised one. He is the superhero we have been anticipating. He is the deliverer that we have desired. He, in fact, is the culmination of all of the Torah. He is, in fact, our hopes and our dreams all in one person. She says, no one, Yahweh. I believe with all my heart, if preachers will preach the person of Jesus, not mere principles and concepts and morals and character, but if we'll preach Jesus, the man who predicted his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and pulled it off. When we do that, there will be a broken, hurting world who believes these are their last days. These are the end of their days. They will believe this is a new day. They will see this is a new beginning, and Jesus brings hope. And Jesus also brings the understanding of a home that is yet to come, a home that we shall arrive to, and that home is heaven, and that home is eternity. I see no one, Lord, and I end here. And the Aramaic language is so emphatic, he says, then I most certainly. The Torah required two witnesses, to set someone free. So now we have the witness of the woman and now we have the witness of Jesus himself. I just love doing like, you know, counting. <laughs> it's awesome. But these two witnesses, the woman and Jesus, he says, my witnesses, I certainly do not condemn you either. Go from now on and be free from a life of sin. Is the story we're telling, is the sermons we're preaching, do they lead people to a life free from sin consciousness, sin focused, sin obsession? Do we preach news that is so good that people don't leave with moralism, that people don't live with virtue focus, but they leave mesmerized and undone at the revelation of a man who is quite different from all other humans who have ever lived. I certainly don't condemn you. Can every preacher say that? Can you say that preacher? I certainly don't condemn you. I want to say for church home, this preacher, this lead pastor, this communicator, I certainly don't condemn you. Whoever you are and wherever you are watching this, I want to echo the words of my Savior and my King and my hero and my pastor and my leader. His name is Jesus. And I just want to say emphatically the same way he did. Whatever it is, sir, whatever it is, ma'am, I most certainly do not condemn you. I simply invite you into a light that is no longer defined by sin, for that has been finished and forgiven. And now your life can be defined by who loves you, who has forgiven you, and who walks with you. You'll find in studying this particular passage that it has actually come up under extraordinary criticism over the years throughout church history. St. Augustine, or Augustine as some call him, St. Augustine was 
actually recorded. We can see this in some of his writings that he believed that this passage was emphatically and completely inspired. And yet many people in his day believed that Jesus would never speak like this to an adulterer. See, what we've walked in on today is a scene that has been debated even by preachers to its validity. And the only reason for that is that we believe it just can't be this good. And so there were scholars and writers and thinkers and some who still suggest that this, in fact, should be a portion of scripture that should not be left in. But my research and many people that I respect and love have concluded that this belongs in John chapter eight and in fact is completely inspired. It is not too dissimilar to the Romans passage, which says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And upon my investigation and thorough study, I discovered that actually the semicolon that comes after that was not in the original manuscripts of which there are 5,300 original writings still existing today of the Holy Scriptures and specifically the New Testament. What was added later to there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus was for those who walk not according to the flesh, but walk in the spirit. That's not where the verse goes. It actually ends there with a period. The verse ends with there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This particular portion of scripture ends with Jesus saying, I certainly don't condemn you. I am not here to add to that. I am here to set you free. I am here to get your eyes off yourself, your sin, your shortcomings, your weakness, and your eyes on me and get on with the rest of your life. I want to conclude by saying this. I want to speak specifically to every man, woman, boy, and girl willing to listen. There are those right now you are struggling with a recent poor decision. You are struggling with an error, a wrong, a sin, a, a, a hang up, a trip up, something you did that you are so embarrassed of. You are humiliated of you. You're hating. You wish you didn't do it. You're living right now with remorse and regret. I am here to tell you, God is not light on sin. Jesus received the crushing of judgment upon himself so that all sin could be finished and forgiven and destroyed. I'm here to say that Jesus has already made provision for you. God has already made provision for you. And that decision, though there may be implications, though there may be consequences in your life, I'll tell you what there isn't. Though there may be consequences, there will be now therefore no condemnation. And let us not get colluded or confused. Consequences are not condemnation. Condemnation is a sentence of death. Condemnation is a sentence of hopelessness. Condemnation is that voice in your head that tells you what you've done is who you are and this will define the rest of your life. I'm here to tell you there is good news in Jesus. No matter what that condemning voice in your head tells you, sure, there may be consequences and those consequences will aid you in not doing this again. And yet there is no judgment from Jesus for his ju the judgment of God has been poured out in the body of Jesus and whom the son sets free is free all the way and free indeed. Now that's what preachers need to say and shout and write and declare and communicate from the rooftops of cities and towns and villages all over the world. This is love, not that you or I love God, but that he loved us and gave his life on our behalf.
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whoever simply receives, not earns, not deserves, not warrants, not tries, but receives Jesus. Think about it. Consul of the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever receives, believes, accepts, just accepts, will not perish. Though you die in this life, you will live forever in eternity with the love of your life and the one who loves you more than you and I can even comprehend this side of eternity. And he has a name and his name is Jesus. I pray that this news that is so good finds you on this night and gives you hope and strength and encouragement in the deepest part of your soul. When Jesus says, I certainly don't condemn you, one of the other meanings of that word condemn is I certainly, I certainly do not oppress you either. See, a partner of the good news is a passion to set free all those who are oppressed. See, sin is an oppressor. And oftentimes, those who sin not only experience personal oppression, but we project and we oppress others. Jesus, his news is so good, not only does it set us free from our oppression, but it enables us to set all those around us who are oppressed free. Oftentimes people in this journey, particularly during the national revolution that we're experiencing right now, as we are addressing and we are facing as a nation, systematized oppression in this country, you must understand I am not interested in telling you who to vote for. I am interested in telling you who is in charge. And his name is Jesus. And he sets the oppressed free. And for all those who have received freedom from oppression, we are to now share and declare that the oppressed shall be free and justice will roll through the streets. Why, Judah, are you so passionate? Why are you so passionate about black men, black women, black children in this country and around the world? Because I believe in the good news that sets the oppressed free. What a privilege and what an honor and what hope we have in Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your love, care, and concern for each and every one of us. Oh God, each one of us in a way who follow you are a preacher. Help us to commit again to the news that is so good. If you would like to receive the free gift of, uh, the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, I want to pray for you right now. And I believe as we pray this prayer, you are forgiven forever and you'll never be the same again. Repeat this right after me. Say, Jesus... Here's my life. I receive your forgiveness. I believe you. And I love you. There it is. You'll never be the same again. 
Church, I love you. If we can serve you in any way, Pastor Chat is 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the app. Download the free Church Home app. Link up with us, Pastor Chat. Right after this on the app, there's a digital meetup. We want to make sure you are connected. We want to make sure you're taken care of and cared for. I love you, Church Home. Look forward to seeing you again real soon.